Good to see you today. Glad to be here today. Uh, just a, uh, should uh, probably just give you a, a quick word um, about uh, Nathan. Sorry, man, have to bring it up. But uh, he put it on Facebook, so I have to say it so you don't ask questions. Uh, his defibrillator's been uh, alarming, which is alarming to us. And uh, so I took him in, and they've determined that he's got a lead that's probably come disconnected or, or frayed or something. And so he's going to have to go in, and they're going to have to, to repair that lead uh, in this next week. So um, just... It, you know, because people frequently ask how he's doing, and I thought, well, I'll just tell everybody what's going on. That'll, that'll save time. You won't have to ask. So, so he's going to have a little surgery to get the lead fixed. So there's, there's not anything technically wrong with his heart. There's something technically wrong with his defibrillator. So that's what's going on. If you hear Nathan had to go into the hospital for something, that's what's going on. Don't be too worried, but uh, you can pray for him, and that's a good thing. And uh, so anything I left out, darling? What's that? Oh, we'll talk later? Uh-oh. <laughs> I could be preaching a while. <laughs> I'm a little afraid to come down now. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so a lot of folks missing today. And uh, with the uh, Florida Hospital AHS Mission Conference, I had the opportunity to be a part of that this week, and that's a, a wonderful event. So we pray that uh, the service is going well for all of them. But uh, so glad that you're with us here today. And uh, for the blessings we've received and for the blessings yet to come. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day, for this opportunity for us to be here uh, in your house. Lord, open our ears to your words. May we hear the message you would have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So how do you feel about outsiders? And be honest, think about this. What if you came in here today and you sat down and you looked around you and all of those people you're used to seeing, for whatever reason, were completely gone and this place was full of outsiders. People you don't recognize, people who don't know how this service is supposed to go. People who sat in your seat today. Wouldn't that be terrible? How do you feel about outsiders? Have you ever been an outsider? You ever gone somewhere and been the stranger, the outsider? We don't always treat all outsiders the same, and it kind of depends on where you go. I was talking to Pastor Roger uh, early this last week, and he was telling me a story of a time he went and visited a church uh, somewhere in New Jersey, and he went to that church. It wasn't a very big church at all. It was a small enough, small enough church that you could tell right away who was visiting and who wasn't. And so he was visiting, and then there was another couple that was there. The other couple... Uh, was Native American. Something about the way they had dressed and the way they had come today made it very obvious that this was a Native American couple that had come to church there that day. And when it came time for, they had an introduction time during the service where you introduce visitors. And so uh, Pastor Roger was introduced and this other couple was introduced. And after the service, Pastor Roger was standing in the lobby 
And people kept coming up to him and saying, well, we're so glad you're here and welcoming him. And, and no less than five different people invited him to come for lunch, which was really nice. That's, you could be under the impression this was a very warm and friendly church, and I suppose in that sense it was. But Pastor Roger also noticed something else. There wasn't anybody going up to the other couple. There wasn't anybody saying, hi, we're glad you were here today. And there absolutely wasn't anybody inviting them home for lunch. To be the outsider. When was the last time you thought at length about what life is really like for people who are far from God? We've introduced a theme for this year, the theme of engage and and like these gears, if they come apart, that drive gear can spin as fast as it wants, but nothing's going to get done until they come together and engage with each other. Then amazing things happen. We've talked about engagement in different parts of our lives. Today we're going to talk about outsiders. Now don't feel bad. Outsiders have always made good, good people feel uncomfortable. Now, I say that both with irony and without. Because, you know, someone comes into the mix who just doesn't belong. It makes everyone uncomfortable. But then again, it's a little ironic to say good people and admit that we're exclusive so often. Matthew chapter 9 Beginning in verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. It's a fair question, I think, right? I mean, we know bad company corrupts good character. And anyone who's truly interested in justice isn't going to want to hang around with the tax collectors because these guys were cheats and frauds. And anybody who's interested in righteousness isn't going to want to hang around with the sinners. It's because of people like this that God's judgment comes on the world, right? Because of injustice and sin. You ever had dinner with sinners? It's a little awkward sometimes. Sometimes the conversation veers places you really kind of wish it hadn't gone. It's especially bad when they're really funny and you know you shouldn't be laughing at that. Have you ever had dinner with sinners and hoped no one saw you so you wouldn't have to explain what you were doing? Matthew 9, verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, 
For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I know you've heard that a lot of times, but what does that even mean? And what does that have to do with being engaged? Well, we've talked here already about the importance of being engaged with our families. And, and it's good to be reminded of it, but I don't think that that's such a stretch for us. I think we know that's important. And we talked about, last week, we talked about being engaged within, as in within this community of faith, that, that all of us working together, if we became engaged with each other, could do amazing things. And maybe we don't always want to do that, but, but I think we know in our hearts that matters. But after we've engaged with family and after we've engaged with each other, we're still not done because there is a whole world of outsiders with which God's church needs to be engaged. If we are the church, the visible though imperfect reflection of Jesus' reign and of the kingdom of God, if we are those people who live and work and are the body of Christ, then we need the mind of Christ Jesus in us, don't we? And what is in the mind of Christ Jesus? Well, Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have, come to, I have not come to call the righteous because they don't need a call. I've come to call the sinners. In order to be faithful to Jesus, we have got to be engaged with outsiders. But it is so difficult. I can think of at least two reasons right off why it's difficult. The first one is, maybe you've noticed this, sinners are very often bad people, right? I'm not talking about the tidy sinners here. I'm talking about bad people who do bad stuff and blow up their own lives and the lives of people around them. That's one reason. There's another reason. This one isn't so, well, maybe not so obvious. But sometimes I think some of the righteous secretly envy the sinners because look at all the fun they're having while we're all sitting here trying to be good enough to save. I hope you're not in that group. You know, the truth is, given those two groups, the, the sinners that are actually bad people and the and the ones who are trying to be good enough to save, I don't know, the sinners aren't looking so bad anymore. Because you ever hung around with the people trying to be good enough to be saved? Boy, that's not fun. I hope by now you know good enough to save is legalism, and to try to live that way is to totally misunderstand the gospel and to spend all of your days in misery. We spent a long time on this about a year and a half ago when we were looking at the Ten Commandments. And we had a phrase we kept going over. We'll do it again today. God didn't give us the Ten to save us from going to hell when we die. He gave us the Ten to save us from living in hell until we die. Live contrary to the commandments and expect your life to be hard and filled with pain. Live in accord with the commandments and expect your life to be full of blessing. But Jesus saves. 
And this is a key point I want you to realize today. Sometimes I think we lose sight of this. Sinners separated from God are not having fun. They may think they're having fun. They may look like they're having fun. And what they're doing might even feel fun in the moment. But separation from God is not fun. And it's not neutral either. In fact, separation from God is the worst experience a human could ever go through. You can just ask a legalist because they're just as separated from God as the sinners, and they're miserable. But think about those that we might consider sinners that might look to us sometimes like they're having fun, but take a minute and think about the behaviors. Alcoholism, drug abuse, promiscuous sexuality, crime, getting involved in home-wrecking affairs. I got to tell you, these are not the behaviors of happy, healthy people. These are the behaviors of hurting people who are searching for anything they can find to deaden the pain in their soul. And from whence cometh the pain, they are separated from God. Now this doesn't mean, knowing this, doesn't mean that people separated from God will be glad to hear you come up to them and say, oh, well, I know your problem. You're separated from God. Yeah, probably not going to help. In fact, they might just mock you in any effort you might be thinking you're making to reconcile them with God. I'm not telling you this as a strategy for going out of here. I'm telling you this as an understanding in your heart. Understand. Never forget, separation from God means pain and death. And connection to God through Jesus Christ is life. Now, it's easy for us to get bullied out of engaging with those on the outside or to even lazy our way out of it because it's inconvenient or, or I don't like to be around bad people or all the reasons we can come up with. And so we stay away and keep to ourselves because really, who wants to hang around with a bunch of sinners? But God desires to show mercy. Certainly more than we normally want to show, and it's possible God's desire to show mercy goes beyond even what we want to believe. Understand, I'm not talking about mercy towards us. Of course we like that. I'm talking about mercy to tax collectors and sinners who don't deserve it. But what if God wants to show mercy to people we think don't deserve it? In the book, Crime and Punishment, a character appears, the book by Dostoevsky, Crime and Punishment, a character appears fairly early on by the name of Mamelodov. He's a bad guy. There's books full of bad guys. I'll just tell you that right off. 
but he's a bad guy and he's made terrible decisions in his life. You see, he's trained to be a clerk and he can work and he can make all the money he needs, but he has a problem with drinking. And every time his life starts to make progress, he falls back into drinking and everything falls apart. He was married, he had a daughter, but his original wife has passed away. He's remarried another woman whose husband died. She has three small children. He could take care of this family. He could be the hero. He could step up and make it a good story. But every time he starts making progress, he falls right back into drinking. There's a monologue that he speaks that comes early in the book, and he's talking to another individual, and he's in a bar at the end of a week worth of drinking having lost another job because he's caught again in this cycle. Then he tells the story of his failure over the years and how as the result of that failure one day he himself was laying in his home and his wife now was complaining because the children had nothing to eat and everyone was crying and he's laying there, can't do anything because he's useless. And she starts to yell at his daughter, the older girl, And in the moment, she leaves and comes back a couple hours later with money, gotten the only way an 18-year-old young woman could possibly have gotten money for the family. He drives his own daughter to prostitution by his bad acting. This is a bad guy. This is a sinner. This is the kind of person we don't want to be around. And this is what he says. To be pitied. Why am I to be pitied? Marmeladov suddenly declaimed, standing up with his arms outstretched as though he had only been waiting for that question. Why am I to be pitied, you say? Yes, there's nothing to pity me for. I ought to be crucified. Crucified on a cross, not pitied. Crucify me, O judge. Crucify me, but pity me. And then I will go of myself to be crucified, for it is not merrymaking I seek, but tears and tribulation. Do you suppose, you that sell, that this pint of yours has been sweet to me? It was tribulation I sought at the bottom of it, tears and tribulation, and I have found it and I have tasted it. But he will pity us, who has had pity on all men, who has understood all men in all things. He is the one. He too is the judge. He will come in that day and he will ask, where is the daughter who gave herself for her cross consumptive stepmother and for the little children of another? Where is the daughter who had pity upon the filthy drunkard, her earthly father, undismayed by his beastliness? And he will say, come to me. I have already forgiven thee once. I have forgiven thee once. Thy sins, which are many, are forgiven thee, for thou hast loved much. And he will forgive, my Sonia. He will forgive. I know it. I felt it in my heart when I was with her just now. And he will judge and will forgive all the good and the evil, the wise and the meek. And when he is done with all of them, then he will summon us. 
You too come forth, he will say. Come forth, ye drunkards. Come forth, ye weak ones. Come forth, ye children of shame. And we shall all come forth without shame and shall stand before him, and he will say to us, Ye are swine, made in the image of the beast and with his mark. But come ye also. And the wise ones and those of understanding will say, Oh, Lord, why dost thou receive these men? And he will say, This is why I receive them, O ye wise. This is why I receive them, O ye of understanding, that not one of them believed himself worthy of this. And he will hold out his hand to us, and we shall fall down before him, and we shall weep, and we shall understand all things. Then we shall understand all, and all will understand. Katerina Ivanovna even, she will understand. Lord, thy kingdom come. And he sank down on the bench exhausted and helpless, looking at no one, apparently oblivious of his surroundings, and plunged in deep thought. What do you think? Does he go too far? Well, probably. But what if God really does long to save even the hopelessly sin-sick and the helplessly beaten down? You know, it seems to me I remember a parable Jesus told once about a Pharisee and a publican, a Pharisee that walked into the temple, and what he said was, oh, God, I thank you that I am not like him. Look at all the good things I do. But on the other side stood the publican in the corner, beating his breast and saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said it was the publican who went home justified, not the Pharisee. And it seems like I remember another story Jesus told about a man who had two sons, and one of them took his father's inheritance and went to a distant town and wasted everything he was given and reduced his life to helpless poverty. And finally, all that son could come up with to go back to his father were these words, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But he came and the father embraced him. But it was the older brother who came back to the house and said, you've never given me a thing, yet this son who wasted everything you have comes crawling back here and you accept him? It seems like a man named Jonah was once sent to a city called Nineveh full of really bad people. And he walked the streets of that city preaching a gospel he didn't want them to believe or hear. And when the Lord spared them, all Jonah could say was, this is why I didn't want to come here in the first place, because I know you're a more merciful God than I want you to be. Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have come to call the sinners. We like to say to this, well, yes, okay, Call them to stop sinning, and maybe then they can be saved. 
But is that it? Or is there something more? Is there something about God's love for the outsider that we've never understood? Have you ever done anything crazy for an outsider just because they needed help? There's at least one of our number that has. Here's her story right here. Um, my name's Nancy Temple, and I came to Forest Lake um, about three and a half years ago. I've been baptized for three years. There was a family who had um, met Sabine earlier that day, and they came back. Um, they were being evicted. It was a mom and a grandmother and, and two boys, and they didn't know where they were going to go or what they were going to do. And as often happens at House of Prayer, the, everybody gathered around them in prayer. He, the Holy Spirit was present in that, in that room. I, all of a sudden I was hit with, you know, in my mind, you could do something, you could do something for them. And so I, it, it out came, it just came right out. Oh, you can come stay in my house. <laughs> I think everybody there would have liked to. I just was lucky enough to be able to have the situation that made it perfect for them to come. They, they came in and um, stayed with me. And I thought it was, you know, going to be, you know, just a little bit to get on their feet. But within like two weeks of them coming here, she lost her job. So, you know, they didn't have anywhere to go. So they ended up staying about four months before they were able to, you know, get off on their own. I did go to work the next day and said, I think I might have done like the craziest thing I've ever done in my entire life, but I'm just gonna go with it and see how God, you know, lets it turn out. There was some, definitely some challenges and some growing experiences in that, but I like, I, I really do believe that the Holy Spirit need to learn some things in that. It was truly the Holy Spirit with a divine appointment for the two of us to meet that night because I had something that I could give to them and, and the Holy Spirit had something that he needed to teach me in that experience. So we were both beneficiaries of that, that heavenly interaction that took place, so. Why does your master eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why? Because he loves them. And he sees what sin has done to them. If we would truly follow after Jesus, then we too must engage with outsiders. We too must go amongst the sinners. Not in some sort of triumphal superior way or not going amongst them as some kind of a strategy that we might build up some sort of mega church and feel good about ourselves, or, or not as a means of verification of the validity of our theology. Engaging with outsiders is not really about us, is it? Except that it's an indication of our level of love and compassion. Instead, engaging with outsiders is about the lost and the lonely, the trapped and the tormented, the prisoners of darkness and death and destruction. They are already tormented in the raging flames of sin. Yet here we sit, 
with gallons of cool living water, watching as they die of thirst, heartlessly mumbling, well, they look happy enough to me. But people separated from God are not happy. Will we carry water to the world? I have a longing that the Forest Lake Church would be a church of significance. And by that term, I don't mean popularity, I don't mean celebrity, I don't mean reputation, but I mean significance as a blessing from God to everyone, inside and out. And this would be the sign of that success, to hear these words, I am so thankful to God for the Forest Lake Church. That would be the sign of success. And let me tell you all the places I would love for us to hear those words. I would love for us to hear those words from our children and young people who would say, I am so thankful to God for the Forest Lake Church. I would love to hear us saying those words to each other within this church. I would love for the other Adventists of the larger Adventist community around us who don't come to this church to still say, I am so thankful to God for the Forest Lake Church. And the other even Adventist churches around us that sometimes we mistakenly think we're in a competition with, for them to one day realize, no, we in this place long for good for them and are able to act in ways of blessing that they could turn and say, I am so thankful to God for the Forest Lake Church. But not just the Adventists, the other Christians around us as well. That they would come to know that there is a church here filled with people who love God. And they would say, I am so thankful to God for the Forest Lake Church. But not even just them, but also the sinners and the broken down, and those around us who don't deserve mercy, who would find in us true ambassadors of the merciful God, and after encountering, encountering us would say, I am so thankful to God for the Forest Lake Church. That's what significance means to me. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. God has called us to engagement with family, God has called us to engagement with each other. But God has also called us to engagement outside. They will know us by our love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, send us your Holy Spirit that we might come to believe that your mercy is greater than we ever dared hope 
and maybe even greater than we wanted. But by seeing that, realize that even for those who have made disaster of their lives, you still long to reach in love. May we be hands that reach. In Jesus' name, amen.